I'm going to temper my good morning this morning, Mackling and McNabb with you, not because we're not happy to be here, not because we're not happy to have you here with us, but Loren, when you sacrifice sleep, you sacrifice certain aspects of your life, it's a calculated risk. We did both did so last night with regard to the Winnipeg Jets. I felt like I was making the right call. Even when we were down, I thought, I know, I still think. Even when Shifley went out, I still think, okay, Dubois is struggling. I still think we can do this. I was trying so hard to keep that faith. Disappointing outcome last night. Jets down now, as I'm sure you know, three games to one in this series versus Vegas. The the scene uh, switches back to the desert Thursday night. And, Loren, I have uh, lived... The Jets coughing up three games to one series leads twice in my lifetime. 1990 versus Edmonton. That's the one that a lot of Jets fans of a certain vintage remember. Uh, so heartbreaking, that loss. Uh, and then 1992 versus Vancouver. Uh, the Jets jumped out to a 3-1 series lead. But that series was really two series in one. Vancouver didn't play particularly well in the first four games. And the Jets capitalized. And then Pavel Bure et al. just uh, found a different gear and walked all over the Jets in the final three games of that series. And then if you were one of the few that followed the Jets to Phoenix and were Phoenix or Coyotes fans. Uh, the Jets uh, slash Coyotes also fell to the St. Louis Blues. I want to say that was in 1998 after uh, having a, having a three games to one series lead. So, And I don't think it was even that late. Yeah, maybe it was 98, maybe 97. doesn't matter. It can Jets, happen. We can come back yes, is your point. Exactly. Anything is possible, mm-hmm. in the words of Kevin Garnett. It feels like the odds of that, though, are strongly stacked against the Jets. No Ehlers, no Morrissey, and if I was to guess, no Shifley for Game 5 Thursday in Vegas. Yeah, that was so disappointing to see him just walk down the tunnel there last night after he tried in that power play. He took a shot and... Something's clearly amiss uh, in his shoulder or whatever they want to tell us it is or isn't, but it'll be time for other players to step up, which is what we were already saying when Morrissey went out in Saturday's game, that the D will have to fill in and step up. And so I guess who's the person that steps up Thursday? Everyone needs to play better. We have a lot of talk about Jets throughout the show. Of course, we're going to play your sounds of the game in a moment. And then uh, at 8.37, we're going to speak to Christian Amell, who was on the streets for the whiteout party last night. He'll give us his take on where the Jets go from here. And then, of course, there are other things to discuss. Speaking of the Jets, there are often, you know, the goal would be a party at Portageman, for example, if we were to go all the way, or at least get into the next round, or what have you. And Portageman will learn, you know, in a matter of hours, what the revision plan is for that intersection. So we're going to talk about that at six thirty. We want to ask you if your kids' shots are up to date. Are you a parent that uh, vaccines or gets vaccines for your kids for chickenpox or measles or mumps or rubella or whatever uh, is on the list for you? Are they up to date? Because data shows they are not many kids and not only that the belief the canadians had have in vaccines for childhood diseases like chickenpox is waning so are you up to date with your kids shots how do you know if you're up to date well i used to have a card in fact i still have a card because when i traveled to for yourself countries i had to know for myself uh for me the public health authority uh in my community contacts me just to let me know what's going down but i don't know if that's the case for everybody if you even know if your kids' shots are up to date, or if you do regular appointments with your pediatrician. So we'll have that chat after seven. And then we do want to ask if you're a small business owner, do you feel like you're working harder than ever before? Because numbers show that 
some small biz owners are putting in 10 hour days, 11 hour days, depending on where they're at, because they just don't have enough staff. So we'll have that conversation. Of course, it's uh, Tuesday morning, breakfast with the Bombers. Wade Miller will join us to talk about football in our community and uh, have a discussion uh, just ahead. Boy, we are uh, quickly coming up. May 15th, full training camp opens for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So if there is a lull, if the Jets do bow out Thursday night, we won't have long to catch our breath in these parts before. Don't we want both? Let's Winnipeg go Blue for Bombers. both. Yeah, I would Let's like have to have the them. season's mm-hmm, mesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they tip it. Obviously, they, they mesh at the end of the football season into the beginning of the hockey season. It would nice to see them be nice to see them dovetail the other way around. We'll also talk about something that uh, we touched on very briefly yesterday, the idea of a reverse mortgage. When should you consider that? Who are they for? Who are they not for? We'll have that discussion much later in our program. But as Loren mentioned, it is the day after game day and such as they are, these are your sounds of the game. And the puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Set rice for Wheeler. Wheeler across the line. Into in the middle for Shifley, moving in, and a backhand shot. Stopped by Brossois, and then Shifley crashes into the back wall. A little slow to get up. On the far side, Wheeler walks down, back up top for Peon. Back for Wheeler at the hash marks, rolls off the board, shoots, scores! Blake Wheeler! With a great wrist shot rolling off the boards. It's a power play goal. And it's 1-0 Winnipeg. Held by Pionk, but he gave it away. Right onto the stick of Chandler Stevenson. Three on two back the other way. Stevenson across the line. Drop pass and a shot. Stop, rebound, they score. Brett Howden scores on Hellebach off his own rebound. And we're tied at one. Back for Kessel at the hash now. Up top again for Theodore. Near side, Marshall shoots and scores. Deflected in front. And it's 2-1 Vegas. Rolled around to the far side, kept in by Stevenson on the fill. To the near side for Theodore, moving right in, shoots, scores. Shea Theodore with a wrist shot, and he beats Connor Hellebach. It's two quick goals for Vegas, and they lead it by two at three to one. Far side for Wheeler, shoots, stop, rebound, jammed away at the side of the net, it's up in the air, they score! It's knocked in by Petrangelo! And Winnipeg will get a power play goal and make it 3-2. There's the break they needed. Well, it didn't quite work out the way we had hoped. Uh, Vegas adds an empty net goal. Final score, Vegas Golden Knights 4, Winnipeg Jets 2. Lots more Jets talk today, of course. Jets at noon with DT and JT and Derek Taylor Sports all morning at 25 after the hour. And as Loren mentioned, Christian O'Mell of the CJOB Sports Show joins us for extended discussion on what happens next in this series. Sunshine, the order of the day. Blue sky, mostly above Portage and Maine. 30 floors up here at 201 Portage. Mackling McNabb, McGarry returns on, what's tomorrow? Thursday, Wednesday. I don't even know what day of the week it is, McNabb. Today's only Tuesday, tomorrow. Brett returns. I'm only thinking of my bed right now. I'm not even (laughs) thinking of tomorrow. I should have realized that you weren't going to be much help on that front either because I think we're all on a little bit of sleep deprivation. Derek Taylor, good morning. Good morning. How late did you make it last night? I attempted to go to sleep somewhere in the first period. I did not work, so I saw all of the Jets game. So it was midnight when I fell asleep. Brothers in arms, we are. Jeff Forche, how late did you make it last night? 
uh, after the first goal. And then uh, I, I tried going to bed, and I tossed and turned probably till 10 p.m. Then I woke up at 2.30, and that's all she wrote. Oof. Sarah McCarthy, did you uh, tough it out? or did, I, End of did, second period. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was as much as I could do, but well, I'm pretty proud of that. Good for you. Yeah, I'm <laughs> proud of you for doing that. So I'm not proud of myself. Uh, this morning's a little bit of a confessional as we get together. Uh, we, we all have our uh, thoughts on our own driving, but mostly I think we have thoughts on other people's driving. I don't know about you, Derek. Uh, you and I have spent a uh, grand total of about 14 hours in a car together. I think you're a, a pretty good driver, uh, but I, I didn't hear you uh, road raging too much on the road when we were together. No. Do, do you judge others and their driving uh, secretly or more vocally uh, when you're when you're by yourself or with your wife? There's one group of drivers that I yell at and that's those are people that are in when you don't have a dedicated left turn lane and you're you're in the lane and then once the light goes red then you signal your indication to turn mm. those people make me furious if you signaled before i would have gone around you and saved myself eight seconds and of course you've never done that yourself Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there you go. I feel, I feel awful when I do it because I'm like, oh, man, I'm the people I hate yeah, right now. I'm the people I hate. That's why I don't know why in this day and age with technology, there should be like a sorry button that kind of like just flashes this message on your bumper, you know, on the, on the rear bumper. Well, like how semi drivers give you the double flash of the hazards for, hey, thanks for letting me in or bus right. drivers. And the, bus, the yes. buses do that the, as well. There should be something like that. Yeah. The courtesy flash. Well, I did the courtesy flash. <laughs> Can we make that a thing? <laughs> courtesy yeah. flash. I don't mean lifting up your sweater and showing. Yeah. You are sleepy, though, so who knows what might happen. Nobody wants to see that uh, if I'm doing it, but I did give the courtesy flash last week on Lajemodier. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. 3.45 in the morning. There was one other vehicle on Laj coming southbound, and I'm going on yielding on or merging on. Well, there's no merge. I'd like to think there was a merge. There's no merge. I plain and simply cut somebody off. They were the only other person on the road. I thought they were in I thought they were in the median lane. They were not. They were in the curb lane. So if that was you last Tuesday morning, please forgive me. I felt horrible. I felt stupid. I felt inconsiderate. So this morning we want to talk about not the time somebody else angered you in the streets, not the time somebody else cut you off, but the time you were the dum-dum. So it's a confessional on this Tuesday morning. Jeff Forche, what about you? You never make mistakes driving, do you? Oh, never, never. I'm perfect. Is this, I'm perfect. A short, is this a short commentary then, or are you going to come clean? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not a perfect driver. No, so I was uh, going eastbound on Portage one. It was one night, and this one I was working till like midnight. And uh, so I'm going east on Portage, and I'm heading towards Hargrave, and I went into robot mode where, you know, you're just not really paying attention as good as you should. And I was looking at the lights at Donald, not Hargrave. So the Donald lights went oh, no. yellow and the uh, lights I was going up to at Hargrave were actually red. And I just, I was looking at Donald and I went through the intersection, through a red light at oh. Hargrave. And I heard a car just, and I was like, <gasps> and I went, oh no, because I looked up and I could see that it was red. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed. And that was such a close call. <laughs> yes. But uh, I, I've also experienced the same thing when I was hanging down Portage and somebody on Hargrave, the same intersection, um, went through the red light on Hargrave and almost uh, creamy at uh, Portage. But mm. uh, yeah, just got to pay attention better. 
Okay. Oh. All right. Well, that was scary. Glad uh, you're okay and the uh, other person involved is okay. Sarah, d- have you been as boneheaded as uh, Jeff Forte? <laughs> Come on now. I mean, we all have our moments for sure. But, I mean, I hadn't done much city driving until coming to Winnipeg because, I mean, in Dryden, there's no merging. There's no <laughs> – there's a couple stoplights. That's it. So I am a notoriously bad merger. I'm the person that's creeping up really slowly in that lane and is like, please let me in please let me in so anyone that has to deal with me merging i'm so sorry or i will just end up barging in front of someone still usually. have ontario license plates not on the anymore car? so uh, i can't even okay. bl- i blamed that in the beginning i was like oh they'll see ontario and be like ah okay okay so you can't even pull the tourist <laughs> thing nope. loren would you like to volunteer to help sarah with not only the traditional merge but your favorite you have to move. zipper merge zipper merge okay do you okay. know what i don't have to explain no. this come on <laughs> You may let's, have let's to. Let's get traditional merging down first. <laughs> All right. Okay? I'll rant about zipper merge another time. I'll yeah, save it. Let's, construction season. Let's save it for, for true construction season. Let's have Derek weigh DT? in. Younger me uh, worked in Kamloops, BC, and would drive the eight hours home to Okotoks, Alberta. When you're driving through the mountains, if you haven't driven through the mountains, there's some two-lane stretches where it's you, mountain, and giant mm-hmm. plummet. One day, I woke up on the other side of the two-lane road. I, I fell asleep for I don't know how long. It was like seconds. Ooh. But I woke up on the other side of the road in my uh, Chrysler Dynasty. And I am just so very thankful that. Like there you were was... still moving or you had come to a stop? No, moving. Oh. Doing 100. So oh. you and, went as, from the mountainside to the guardrail side or the, the other way around? The guardrail side to the mountainside. But any semi would have just rolled right over me. And I went, okay, I got to be better when I'm driving this because Wow. True Confessions. Glad you're here as well, DT. True Confessions, 204-780-6868. We're looking in the mirror. Your driving faux pause for a chance for tickets to see Valor FC at IG Field. I was reaching for the remote control last night a couple of times, slipping around between the Jets game and the Leafs, lightning, going to overtime, like watching the Jets in 4K. Had to watch the Leafs finish off that comeback. They were down 4-1. They tied 4-all, and they win 5-4. They lead their series 3-1 against Tampa. The Jets are now down 3-1 to Vegas. Edmonton back on the ice, back on home ice tonight as they look to uh, move ahead in that series that's tied 2-2. How about the Seattle Kraken? Yes. They win in overtime last night to even their series with Colorado. The fans there, the the faces in the fans is what I wanted for the fans at Canada Life Centre last Ah. night. But hey... There's still, there's still a chance we'll have more with on the Jets coming up at 8.37 when we speak to sports show host Christian O'Mell. And, of course, uh, we'll continue your feedback throughout the day. A lot of people disappointed, but got to keep the faith. And, of course, coming up after 7.37, our weekly breakfast with the Bombers. Wade Miller will join us. And, of course, the Blue Bombers integral in terms of Valor FC. We've got tickets to Valor FC May 6th to give away. And we're talking about true driving confessions. We're pointing the fingers at ourselves this morning, Darlene says, my driving confession, something that happened last week. I was downtown and got a little turned around and then flustered, turned down the wrong way on a one-way street. A car even honked at me as I did it, and that didn't make me realize what I was doing. There's a true confession, Darlene. Thank you for sharing with us this morning. But we do want to start this hour talking about immunization. We've got a question for parents and guardians out there this morning, Loren. Are your kids' shots up to date? 
We have a couple of reasons while we're asking this. And one of them is the fact that there's a recent report showing fewer Canadians are buying into the importance of childhood vaccines. So according to UNICEF, the proportion of Canadians who believe immunizations are important in this country dropped from 90% to 82% over the past three years. And in Manitoba, the province says data shows kids that were born in 2019, 2020, 2021 are more likely to be behind on routine shots than that protect against things like whooping cough, chickenpox, measles, and polio. What gives is our question. Dr. Alan Cates is a professor in community health sciences and family medicine at the University of Manitoba. He's also a family doctor. Good morning. Good morning. What are you hearing from your patients and from that are parents? Well, uh, there are two things that are happening here. Firstly, the relationship which we as family doctors had with our patients have been affected by uh, the pandemic. Um, usually what happens is after a baby's born, we see them often, we see them for their two-month, four-month, and six-month vaccinations, and you build a relationship, and, and based on that, uh, they bring the, their kids in regularly for these vaccines. So the pandemic got in the way of that. We weren't able to see people. A lot of care was provided virtually where necessary, uh, and, and kids didn't get their vaccines at the right times, and those relationships weren't built up. So that's the one practical challenge that we just need to reestablish those relationships. The second point is that vaccines and immunizations became controversial during the pandemic. And uh, that faith in the concept of giving somebody a vaccine to protect them from disease later became a political football. Uh, it became something that um, people no longer take for granted. So there are two issues. The one is, do you really want to have your child vaccinated? And secondly, that routine was broken. Dr. Katz, I know that over the last several years, uh, even pre-pandemic, we were reopening this conversation about vaccines and vaccinations for our kids. There were there were some who were openly uh, against the idea of any vaccines for their kids. And that, that movement, movement seemed to uh, have quite a bit of momentum in the last decade or so. Is that my imagination? No, no, you're right. That is a, that's real. Um and uh, it's based on, on, on certain groups who, who put this down to their religious beliefs. It's based on uh, immigration, that uh, the nature of our population has changed quite dramatically over the last uh, decade or so. And people are coming from countries where vaccines weren't the norm. They weren't necessarily a uh, foregone conclusion. What you did was you had your baby, you then took your baby off for vaccines. That, that, is, that is not always the case everywhere. And so as our society becomes more diverse, uh, these kinds of things sometimes fall by the wayside a little bit. And we're not doing a good enough job in helping people understand the importance of these vaccines. If I'm sitting out there and I'm thinking, I'm not sure, actually, if my kids are up to date, because as you mentioned, we, things got a little behind during COVID. Where do I go? Because one of my issues is that my kids have a pediatrician that we get to annually, but the school also, in their case, provides immunizations. And I get a call from the public health nurse. Do both sets have the same data? Is, is it shared? And I can call either my local public health authority or my doctor to figure this out. Like, how do I know, Dr. Cates, if I, if where, where my kids are at? Dr. Katz, sorry. 
No problem. Yeah, no, you're right. That that's a, that is a challenge. Uh, what, one of the things that we uh, are trying to fix uh, generally across the country, but in particular, but in Manitoba as well, is people don't have access to their own data. You, as a mother, should be able to go online and access your children's medical records without a problem. That's something that doesn't currently happen in Canada in most places. The most up-to-date information with regard to children's vaccines is actually uh, in public health health records. So the public health department has records because both the vaccines that are given in the doctor's offices, in public health nurse uh, clinics, and in schools, all of those get entered into the same database which is held by public health. Yeah, Dr. Katz, in a matter of months, apologies for interrupting, but we were able to go online and I could check my vaccine status for COVID, but I I still can't do that for all the other ones for my kids. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Me neither. (laughs) Yeah, so so this is something that, uh, you know, uh, data is is very difficult because uh, there are all kinds of privacy things. And it's not easy for governments to set up these databases that people can access with all the with all the privacy requirements. So um, this is something that people are working on. It's something that we know needs to be fixed. But you're 100% right. For COVID, it was done very efficiently, very quickly. Many things happened during the pandemic that we need to learn from uh, and build on and help improve our healthcare system based on those experiences. Unfortunately, some of those things are not happening in other areas of the healthcare system. We've run out of time here, but do you know if all schools provide the opportunity for vaccines? Or is that division by division or school by school in this province? No, it's done by through the school division and public, working with public health. And all schools should be providing vaccines for those kids who are seven and up. There are certain vaccines which are almost exclusively provided in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the ones that, that, that kids seven and above get. Well, Dr. Katz, so hopefully people get back in the routine of those, you know, uh, at least once a year checkups for their kids and reestablishing those conversations, those relationships with their pediatricians. Because I know in terms of keeping my boys healthy, uh, that has been extremely important since the day they were born. Just having that uh, almost first name conversation, that first name relationship uh, with their pediatricians over the years. We appreciate you and we appreciate the insight that you bring whenever you join us, Dr. Katz. Thank you. Dr. Alan Katz is professor in community health sciences and family medicine at the University of Manitoba. He's also a family doctor and uh, frequent contributor here on 680 CJOB. It's time for breakfast with the Bombers. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are putting the final touches on their training cap roster as the beginning of CFL training camps is now less than three weeks away. And there are a few things to get to before we get there, Loren McNabb. So we're bringing on Wade Miller, president and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club. Good morning. Good morning. So we have CFL. Good to know what roads we drive on there. (laughs) I was very definitive to you. Did you hear me? No, not my neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. And then seconds later. 100% you never drive on that. 100% I drive it all the time, Wade. So that's where I'm at this morning. I'm tired. I was up late last night. Were you up late watching the game or were you in bed early? Uh, No, I can't uh, make it past 10 o'clock. So. I, yeah. w- I wish I had that same thought last night. So there, I'm going to blame my foggy brain on that this morning. But we do have lots to look forward to, as Greg mentioned. So the CFL draft is a week today. And some people might be sitting there thinking, you know, we have a really great team already. What more do we need to add to it? But how important is the draft in terms of just reloading some of the talent on your team? 
No, absolutely. This is the uh, opportunity to, you know, get get maybe the players that may not start this year, um, but to develop the team long-term. And um, this is where all the great Canadian talent comes from in our league. And, and this draft uh, is a lot of work, um, you know, by our scouts and football operations to make sure that we draft the right guys. And it's impressive every year uh, to watch that process and an exciting time for each one of these Canadian football players, uh, university kids and, and junior players that have an opportunity to be drafted into the CFL. Yeah, lots of dreams, at least the start or the next step and dreams coming true next Tuesday, Wade. Let's talk about another type of football briefly before we get to a couple other things here. Valor FC tied at the top of the table uh, early in the CPL season. Talk about the fan experience you're you're trying to create and that you are successfully creating at IG Field for Valor FC, Wade. Yeah, you know what? Everybody that comes to a match of the professional soccer of the Canadian Premier League at IG Field you know, see Valor play says the atmosphere is unbelievable. A lot of that comes from our supporters group, the trench, uh, which keeps the song and the energy going the entire time at IG field. It's just such a different experience than a gridiron football game and a, and a great time for families to come. Um, we've got a great family area that we've built uh, around gate two. And then for the adults and everybody else, the VS, VFC patio uh, down by gate three, um, and it's just a, <clears throat> a great time to come out and, uh, you know, watch some professional soccer and watch the next uh, stars that, you know, that are going to be playing for the Canada team in the World Cup. And that's what you're going to see with this level of soccer. And it's, uh, you know, Valor uh, works hard and it's just a great, uh, great team and looking forward to success this year. Whether it's Valor or the Blue Bombers, you know, it's often about inspiring the next generation. And I'm thinking back to the trip that Greg took just a few weeks ago with Nick Dempsey and Drew Wallet-Harsky going up north to Oxford House First Nation. It really connected with young people there. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really always impressed with the work that's done by the football club to connect with the Indigenous community. How important is that for you? Because it seems to really grow also you know, grow the fan base, which I think is cool. Oh, it does for sure. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, the, <clears throat> the work our players do in, in going up north and uh, visiting those communities is is important and, and impactful. And, you know, if they become football fans after, that's great. But uh, going up and teaching the game of flag football, um, let's get people moving. And, you know, flag football is one way to do that. Um, you know, it doesn't take a lot, you know, to, to uh, be able to play a flag football game in terms of number of people. So you can get... Uh, get it going and people can have success right away. Kids can have success playing. So uh, it's great to see that, you know, you got to see that firsthand with that slight break and um, that, you know, you can't really describe the impact those players have on, on those kids. Well, the, and it was impactful for me as, as a person. And I know it had a tremendous impact. Nick had been up before Wade, but uh, Drew, I, I could tell it had a real impact on him. And, and you know, he's a worldview guy. He's a spiritual guy. And so that whole idea of, of where he fits into the world also, I think, came up as it did for me. How, how often have you been up north? And, and, and maybe just share your feelings on, on those experiences you've had. Yeah, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't uh, travel up north that much. Um, you know, I, as a player, I went up once and, uh, you know, knew the impact it had on me and then want to make sure that our players also get that because, to your point, it's exactly right. Uh, it's it's just as impactful for the people going up there that it is for the people in those communities. And uh, so that's something, you know, that 
that is also um, of value. So growing the game, you know, whether it's through those trips like that or, or, or all the other initiatives is part of what your club is doing. And you talked about how flag football, you know, you don't need many to make a team. You also don't need a lot of equipment. And so that might be where it starts too, just getting interested in, in playing before you build upon that. And that goes to your camps. Uh, tell us about some of the camps you've got going for young people. Yeah. So the month of May is a busy time for us uh, for amateur football. We've got you know, the 48-year-old uh, Blue Bomber Futures Camp uh, over two different weekends, and then Junior Bomber Skills Camp coming up for ages uh, uh, 9 to 14. And you can find all the information on bluebombers.com under the community page to sign up for those free camps. And then last night, we started the Blue and Gold High School Showcase uh, Invitational, where the top uh, grade 11s in high school football are out practicing for eight practices and then we'll play a game and U16 as well. So over 200 kids out um, in different programs for the, for the next two weeks. And then they'll play this blue and gold showcase where there'll be um, college recruiters from different uh, colleges coming in to see the talent that we have in high school football here in this province. I remember back in the, uh, in the mid eighties, the, you know, the game between the high school teams and the suburban teams, the, you know, the U18 teams and the, and the, and the impact that that had on the idea of perhaps professional football was an option or at the very least college or junior football was an option for a lot of guys. Wade, is this a little bit of a rebirth of that? It is. It is uh, bringing that back for sure. I remember uh, as a, as you do, uh, you know, playing playing in those games for the Bombers, and and this is absolutely what that is bringing it back. And when you can wind up a practice with Nick Dembski saying, you know, I was in your situation, I didn't get a camp like this. These two coaches coached me when I was in high school. Uh, you know, telling the kids after practice uh, the opportunities they have in front of them, it, you know, it uh, definitely gives those kids uh, a little more motivation, and uh, you know, hopefully. Uh, you know, sports is a good way to uh, help kids do well in school and academics and as well. So, um, you know, that's that's the big benefit of kids being involved in football at high school. It makes them part of a community as well and uh, hopefully uh, helps them with their academics. Yeah, and the impact of those relationships, you know, created uh, for myself personally, uh, continue this very day. Wade, thanks for this. We appreciate what you're doing for for young people in the pursuit of their athletic dreams and, and also that translates in into achieving elsewhere in life. Um, we're going to invite ourselves down to do one of our shows from the from the press box uh, as we get uh, closer, maybe in uh, training camp. Uh, you're probably there by five o'clock. You open the door for us one morning. I have no problem with that for sure. So, and Loren, just so you know, the stadium's down Pemina Highway. From- <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I'll, I'll try to look for the big building to my right or left, depending on which direction I'm coming from. Correct. It says IG Field. Got it. it. Okay, thank you. You know what? I'll just call you and you can just guide me in. How's that sound? Gotcha. Gotcha. Perfect. Wade Miller, thanks as always. Uh, This has been a good time. Breakfast with the Bombers brought to you by the Cooperators. Investing in your future together. We're a little bit tired here. How late were you up? 204-780-6868 is the Jets. 
fall 4-2 to the Vegas Golden Knights are now down 3-1 in the series. They get a couple of days off now before Game 5 back in the desert at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas Thursday night. I think that's a 9 o'clock start again, Lorenz. So hooray for that. Thank goodness it's on a Thursday. Uh, perhaps you'll cut your losses and just, uh, you know, you'll be watching. I I'll know watch. you will. I have to watch. I have to watch a little bit of it at least. I, I uh you know, it can happen. As you pointed out this morning, you can come back from a 3-1 loss, and teams often do, or 3-1 series. So here we go. We'll have uh, Christian O'Mell from the Sports Show join us just after 8.30 to delve more into the loss and looking ahead, what do they need to do? And, of course, the loss of Shifley in the lineup. We'll probably hear more about his status later today. So we'll delve into that after 8.30. And, of course, we're asking you for fun. Your driving stories, the times you know you screwed up. Not when you were mad at someone else, but when they had the right to be mad at you. Tom says, I was turning left and cut a guy off, and that's where this started. I did something similar. I merged onto Highway 59 a couple of, uh, I guess it was last week, early in the week. I cut off somebody, the only other car on the road at that time of the morning. Well, Tom says, against my better judgment, I gave him the finger, the other driver. Then later I met my future wife's uncle at a family gathering. Guess what? It was him. When we were introduced, he stated that we had already met. I felt so embarrassed. Keep those stories coming. The time that you were the bad driver. 204-780-6868. We want to start this hour with the average small business. As small business owners are saying that they're working 54 hours a week in order to compensate for staffing challenges, Loren. Yeah, so that might be an average. There might be a lot more hours going in, maybe a lot less, but we've been hearing a lot from businesses, of course, over the past three years. And that number that you referenced, that comes from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, which looked at data in 2022 and found that more than half of the owners it spoke to are working those longer hours. Brianna Solberg is with the CFIB. Good morning, Brianna. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. You're on Saskatchewan time, so I appreciate you hopping on early. And and I'm curious, Brianna, you know, that hour number, is that more than you were hearing in the past? Yeah. So um, unfortunately, our data is showing that this problem seems to be getting worse. So Last year, when we asked uh, our members the same question, how many hours a week are you working and how much of this is attributed to staffing shortages, um, we've actually seen a 10% increase in the amount of hours this year that they are working just to make up for a shortage of staff. So, um, And unfortunately, working more hours is their best option. It's the, the only alternative would be to turn down sales contracts or decrease their services or their opening hours. So they're being forced to work more hours to make up for the lack of labor. So what's the answer here, Brianna? Obviously, uh, you know, I'm a half glass uh, full guy for the most part. Uh, Having more business to uh, fulfill, whether it's uh, orders or customers at your counter or or a combination of both, is is never a bad thing. What's the answer here? Yeah, so small businesses have, have tried everything within their power to attract and retain staff. So they've offered higher wages, they've offered greater flexibility. Nothing's really proven to be a winning solution for them. And and ultimately, there will be no magic bullet to fix this problem. But any and all measures that uh, governments can do to increase the available labor in the pool is essential. So for example, whether it's improving education to prepare students for the job market, or improving or streamlining the temporary foreign worker and immigration processes, 
would bring more workers that small businesses need into Canada. Um, they can reduce the tax burden or introduce, uh, say, a payroll tax holiday for all new hires. So just to allow businesses to um, have access to more resources, to increase wages and to attract and retain staff. So the ask would be that government help increase wages, not small businesses increase their wages? Because when I was looking through social media, as you know, some of the comments back on this survey that found that business owners are working 54, 55, 60 hours a week, some people say, well, pay your staff more and then you won't have to work as hard. That's not the answer? Yeah, it's a it's a common misconception. I mean, we've we've asked our members um, what kind of wages they are paying to attract staff in this tight labor market, and eighty percent of them report they already pay above the minimum wage, and uh, they've tried increasing that even further just to offer um, something that's going to attract people to come and help them. But I don't think wages are necessarily the be all end all solution here. I think um, they can definitely help, but there's only so much that a small business owner can increase wages before they themselves are no longer going to be able to remain in business. And I think that if they had help to even give another bump, if they had uh, like a tax incentive to uh, hire and train, then I think that would go a long way to help them. Brianna, could this just be a simple case of businesses simply operating at the capacity, the economy and the population and, and training and the, the employment pool, pool will allow. Yeah, I think that um, ultimately there's a lot of time that business owners are spending just running the business at this point. So if they own a restaurant, for example, uh, without the extra hands, they're the ones waiting tables or helping prep food or wash dishes. And, and so they're quite literally keeping all the plates spinning and, um, there, this is a lot of time that they could spend on other priorities like growing their business or looking into um, different government programs. That's sort of the question, but that, Brianna, sorry, I'll just maybe uh, reframe the question. So it, it's clear that there's a challenge with regard to getting more people. So my, I'll mm-hmm. ask it again. Is it possible that some businesses are plain and simply operating at their capacity? The, the idea of expanding their businesses isn't really practical at this point in time. And I hate to say that out loud as a, a longtime entrepreneur. I think, I think many would disagree with you on that just because um, they feel like the business is there. The, the customers are coming in. They just simply cannot keep up because it's the lack of, of skilled or unskilled labor is preventing them from providing more services or offerings. And if they just had hands to help, they could grow. Brianna, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me. That's Brianna Solberg with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business talking about a survey that found small business owners are working 54 hours a week in order to compensate for staffing shortages. And if the staff aren't there, where will they come from? Because this has been going on for well over a year now where we've been talking about this post-pandemic. Just not enough people. Mackling and McNabb, McGarry returns tomorrow. The Winnipeg Jets may have lost last night. We'll discuss that in just a couple of moments here with our good friend Christian O'Mell. But the Winnipeg Ice 
finished off the Moose Jaw Warriors in their second round playoff series in the WHL playoffs last night. A big 8-2 win in Moose Jaw. So the ice uh, will uh, come back home to start round three, Loren. So it's not all bad news on the hockey front. The Manitoba Moose are also in the AHL playoffs. Those will get underway. Boy, I have to check the schedule to be certain, so I won't say which day I don't have it in front of me. As I started saying it, I realized I didn't know when they're starting, so I'll double-check that uh, for us. While you read this text message as we share true confessions on the road, we're we're talking about the time that you were that guy, were that person, were that driver on the road, and, well, you're confessing our stories, your stories, with us this morning. I drive a service truck, and I have for over 25 years. I've had my share of close calls. Just last month, I pulled out of a store parking lot and didn't see this car in my blind spot. Pretty sure I cut him off. Won't deny it. He took it personally and chose to scream and yell and flail his hands around. He got in front of me, slowed down enough that I had to pull over. Then he stopped, came up to my window, yelling and screaming, and all I could say was, Yeah, man, you're right. Take it easy. I'm sorry. I was non-confrontational. He looked at me put his hands down and said, okay, got back in his car and life carried on. You have to laugh at people like that. Keep calm and drive on. That's easier. It's a reason why we see road rage and there's been conversations about, are we seeing more road rage than we have in previous years because of pent up frustrations? And I I always marvel at the people who are so mad that they chase you down. But I have also felt that and wanted to take someone down to say, do you, you know how close you came to really hurting someone? So it's when they, when someone acknowledges like, sorry, you know, they know it's sometimes that they, they might be oblivious and you, you feel like you need to make them aware that they really almost hurt someone. I like your suggestion of having some sort of digital display that you could engage in your rear view mirror or or elsewhere on your vehicle that just says, I'm sorry, I know I messed up. I didn't mean to do it. I see you. I acknowledge my mistake. Please forgive me. You're forgiving yourself this morning. We are true confessions on the highways, byways, streets of Winnipeg of Manitoba, uh, 204-780-6868. The time that you were that driver. And by the way, the Manitoba Moose opened their best of uh, five series against Milwaukee Admirals Friday night. Milwaukee will be here at Canada Life Center, 7 p.m. And then Sunday game to Milwaukee at Manitoba, 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon. A disappointing outcome. Heartbreaking, some may say, last night. Jets are now down three games to one in their Western Conference quarterfinal series versus Vegas. A 4-2 loss at home to the Vegas Golden Knights, sending over 20,000 people home from downtown with disappointment, broken hearts, thinking about what if, what could have been, if only we were healthy, perhaps. Host of the CJOB Sports Show, Christian O'Mell, spent some of his time in the heart of the Whiteout Street Party on Donald Street last night. We say, hi, Christian. Good morning, friends. Yes, it was uh, a night last night to... I don't want to. Is it is the word remember? I don't know. It it's tough because anytime you get playoff games, we can't take those for granted because it's a lot of fun to be at playoff games. I don't know if you're someone like Pittsburgh and you went 16 straight years. Maybe you do take it a little bit for granted, but I mean the Jets haven't had a ton of home playoff games over the course of their what now 12 year history. So it's always a lot of fun when we get the whiteout, and then you remember that they have won three home playoff games since that amazing Nashville comeback in 2018 in game three. So uh, it's been tough for them to actually get it done on home ice. 
to get to have the street party for the first time in, in four years is definitely great. I, I was out there and there were thousands of people that were cautiously optimistic. They were there to have a good time, there to join the party, and then you know the hockey game doesn't go their way. And and part of it's because yes, Mark Scheifele gets hurt. Part of it is I think the Vegas Golden Knights are just built better. Uh, and deeper than the Winnipeg Jets are, especially with the injuries the Jets have. And I just want to note, those two Moose playoff games will be carried live on 680 CJOB uh, Friday night and sa- Sunday afternoon, both of those live over our airways. And, of course, you can go watch in person too, but uh, just letting you know that we will be carrying those live. That's good to know, and it's something to look forward to as well on top of what we're going through. The problem with once you get the playoff games is you, everybody, you want more. You get a taste of it, and you want to have more of it. And when I was watching last night, and I know you commented on this yesterday about who, score f- who scores first will matter. And when we scored first, I thought, here we go. And that was a pretty short-lived feeling. And so it, it wasn't the stat that I w- rolled our way. Well, the Jets have scored first in three of the four games in this series. So the idea of you know starting strong, the Jets have done that. But in game two, they got one goal in the first and then it fell apart. Last night, they get the goal and then four minutes later, it's tied again and they never led after that. So you look at that Mark Shifley breakaway and it's kind of the butterfly effect moment of the night where if he scores on that play, A, it's a one nothing lead. B, he probably doesn't trip over Brisson, crash on the boards and get hurt. And then he's not out for the rest of the game. And I know that his impact in this series has not been much to this point. Just one goal, no assist in three games and defensively had been a bit rough. But still, that's two straight games where you're just playing with one less player for like the entire game because Morrissey played just over a minute, Shifley played just over a minute, and it just throws everything into complete flux in terms of your lines, in terms of your ability uh, to to put together a, a winning product. So if you ha- if you knew before the game someone was hurt, like with the Ealers, you can bring in a player. But it's when you look at what they're missing now with Morrissey, Shifley, Ealers hasn't played in this series, Perfetti would have been nice to have at this point you're looking at four players you know that would be very much a, a contenders for a top power play unit and it's just tough to beat the best team in the west when you've got all those missing pieces christian between 1942 and the stanley cup finals and the 1989 Smythe division semifinals only six times had an nhl team come back from a 3-1 series deficit to win a best of seven Since then, 25 teams have done it, including the Winnipeg Jets twice, 1990 versus Edmonton, 1992 versus uh, the Vancouver Canucks. And then as their iteration of the uh, of the (laughs) uh, Phoenix Coyotes, they also blew a uh, 3-1 series lead. So I'm familiar with the idea of of the Jets giving up these uh, 3-1 series leads. Uh, that was 99, by the way, in the Western uh, Conference quarterfinals that the Coyotes did it. Uh, but it's not easy to do. It's not super common, more common than it was. What will it take for the Jets to do this? Because let's remind folks, the team has played well at in stretches without some of their top players in the lineup. You can't fault the effort and the, and the heart the team has played with in the third periods of the last two games, right? But the reality is just Vegas is <laughs> it's a defensively really strong team with Lauren Pessois fueled by the year of backup chance, which I thought, hey, it's been a while since we had a good chant in this building. So that was cool last night. But the idea of 3-1 comebacks being a little more prevalent for 
part of it is because there's just more more games now than there were for for a long stretch of time and everything. Don't best don't seven. burst my bottle, Omel. Don't do it. But only 13 of those 31 comebacks overall have been by the lower seed, so it's even a, a longer odds for the Jets. What's going to have to happen for them to win? Well, first of all, Connor Hellebuck's going to have to steal what two of the games, right? He he's same percentage below 900 in in the last three games, and it's not all his fault, of course. Any puck that gets tipped is pretty much impossible to save. And then the you know the Brent Howden goal last night that's a tough one for a goalie as well. He's going to have to steal the game. It would be great if Nikolai Ehlers could come back into the lineup, but the Jets are going to have to win two one hockey games, I think, because the firepower is is very much not really there for this team. They were able to get two goals last night, but one of them was the weirdest goal I think I've ever seen in person in a hockey game, and I just don't think Vegas is going to lose this series. Now, they have blown... 3-1 leads before, so that's not unusual for them, but in their short history, I just don't see it happening, but it starts with Connor Hellebuck. He's going to have to really steal a game if this team wants to even you know, have a sniff of a game six, let alone seven. Is he... Let's just talk a bit about his performance because Greg and I had this chat early, and keep in mind I was cranky and tired, but you know, there are some people who will say he's not playing well and on the other hand I was yelling at the TV last night he can only stop so many shots before something goes in and so where do you land on who's coming out ahead in the goaltending front well I mean you have to say Brassois simply because he's three and one for sure I think the goalies have been pretty much even they've both had moments where they've they've been there's been some bigger rebounds and maybe a goal goes in or here or there that you would you don't love but at the same time when you look at all the goals Hellebucks has allowed, if you just go one by one, you're not really mad about almost any of them. You could say the Howden goal last night, maybe, but like that's a that's after a blocked shot. That's a tough one for a goalie. It's point blank range and it's a good shot. One redirects off a skate, it right in front of the net. That's not really his fault. The defenseman has to take care of Carlson on that play. And then there's a tip, and and you look at all three. Hellebuck made a lot of pretty solid saves last night. I thought he was really good. In last night's game, but he still ends up with a you know a save percentage below 900 in last night's contest. Hasn't that and, been the difference, Christian? I'm just going to jump in because we're running out of time. We're yeah, over time. Just the whole idea that the the Vegas gets the tips. Vegas gets those uh, second chances, so to speak, on a block shot. Pionk does exactly what he needs to do. Blocks a shot, then the puck bounces right onto Brett Howden's stick. The Jets are not getting those bounces, and I think it's because Vegas has played with five different goalies this year, and so they don't count on their goaltenders. They have to make Make sure that they're clearing the front of the net and you don't get those second chances. You don't get those tip-ins. You don't even get a clear look at the net most times. It's true. Winnipeg's kind of mode operandi. It has been Connor Hellebuck, save us, please, a lot of times. And if it's not happening, then their defensive structure might not be good enough. And that's maybe what we're seeing here. Vegas is deeper than Winnipeg is. They've got that defensive structure. And you're right. When they've played in front of so many goalies, they know how to adapt. And they're they're getting in the way of so many shots, taking away shot lanes that, you know, if the puck gets through, good on you. But so many are not, and that's part of what, what Vegas does. They get ahead, 
and they just keep everything to the outside and make it really difficult for you to get any good looks on Brassois or whoever's in net for them. There'll be lots of conversations to be had over the next couple of days as we head towards Game 5, and uh, the Jets look to extend the series at Thursday night in Las Vegas. Christian O'Mal will uh, lead a lot of that conversation on the sports show heard right here on 680CJOB. 6.30 till 9. Gee whiz, uh, Christian. Uh, you got to get some sleep, man. Go back to bed. Yeah, I'm, I'm up. I just tried to do Latin, and I totally got it wrong, I'm pretty sure. So I'm, Modus operandi? Like, I think you had it right. I, I, you, I, yeah, you were close. Okay. That's good. Okay. I, was I close, understood yeah. you. I went to bed at like 2.30, so yeah, I'm 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 a little bit groggy, but I'll be okay. I owe you a Starbucks, a Tim Hortons, or a Red Bull. Your choice. Thanks, Christian. Appreciate you, brother. Just a $10 bill. No cash. No cash oh. transactions. Okay. Not allowed. Okay. Thanks, pal. Okay. No problem. Harry Belafonte. If you're just tuning in, sad news from the world of entertainment, from civil rights, from activism, from just all around wonderful people. Harry Belafonte, civil rights and entertainment giant, has passed away at the age of 96. He passed away this morning of congestive heart failure at his New York home. We send our condolences to those who knew, loved him, admired, or just loved his music his ability to entertain, his ability, Loren, I dare say, to bring people together. The smile on his face when he performed, right? But also just how the music connected people on for fun, but also to think, right? There's moments of really deep conversations that he'd have uh, on stage or in interviews. Uh, I, I'm looking at a photo of him now and smiling, listening to this music. So Harry Belafonte, singer, actor, activist, dies at age 96. 9.38 on this Tuesday morning. Lots of us reeling from the Jets' loss last night, down 3-1 in their best of seven series to Vegas. Thursday night, uh, not tomorrow night, but Thursday night in Vegas, five uh, game five uh, goes in the desert. And Loren, uh, speaking of deserts, there are times when you drive through Portage in Maine, and if you see a human being walking there, you wonder what the heck is going on? What are they doing? What are they looking at? What are they up to? Because people, it's a people desert above ground at grade at Portage in Maine. What's going on with that intersection today? The online survey, they want your feedback on different ideas for Portage in Maine. So, of course, there's the barriers to be removed. There's work that needs to be done above and below ground. There is talk about pedestrians. But the online survey is now posted at the City of Winnipeg website, winnipeg.ca. You have until May 26th to share your thoughts. And there are all sorts of questions, not just about what you'd like Portage, Maine to look like. You know, for example, does it matter to you that it's more vibrant, more colorful, have more people? But there there are photos of public art. Would public artwork, and it's giant public art, it's just an imagining at this point what they think it could look like. There's talks of what about a public garden space that went above at Portage, Maine? Then you could walk around the garden, and that might be your way to have like an underground, above-ground walkabout, if you will. So there's all sorts of different things on there. There's glass elevators that would take you up to that and and just ideas at this point. And from what I can tell, no cost attached, but weigh in. We've been talking about this long enough. Let's improve that intersection. Whether it is crossing it or not, we can certainly make it look better. As I have said, you cannot call this intersection iconic if you don't feel it looks that way. If you have an opinion on this, where do people go, Loren? Well, you can go to winnipeg.com. CA, that's the City of Winnipeg website. And you could also just Google City of Winnipeg Portage and Main Survey. That will get you there. And if you have feedback, 780-6868. 940 now. And in our last half hour, we want to continue the discussion 
About the future of work in our country, Loren, I think it's clear that many of us are working longer and later in life in order to maintain a certain standard of living. That's not necessarily applicable to us personally at the moment, but I know people who are in that boat as inflationary pressures reduce our overall purchasing power and standard of living. We've talked about it so often, aging in place. Would that be your goal? Would you like to stay at your home and age in your home as long as you had the appropriate care or ability to do so? And so that's a desire for many. It's a necessity for many, and it's impossible for others. We shared a story yesterday of a 90-year-old Winnipegger who was still looking to bring in income so that she could stay in her home, age in place, because she had made upgrades to add make that home more accessible for her and her needs. And it had us thinking about for those who are facing financial pressures, has reverse mortgages come to mind? Have that be, has that been part of the conversation? We're joined now by Vivian Gauchi, Senior Vice President of Customer Experience and Chief Marketing Officer of the Home Equity Bank. Good morning, Vivian. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So I think we have to start with the basic. What is a reverse mortgage? How does it work? Sure. Well, a reverse mortgage is simple, really. It is a loan that's secured against the value of your home. Um, Typically, you have to be age 55 and over to qualify. But in essence, what it allows you to do is to access the equity in your home in the form of tax-free cash that doesn't impact your CPP or OAS. And the real key benefit of it is you don't have to make any monthly mortgage payments. So what it means is that it helps you meet your monthly cash flow needs. So if I don't have to make any monthly payments, obviously the lender wants to get its money back. How does that happen? Correct. So the, the, one of the big um, misconceptions about the product is that um, the, the bank actually ends up having the home in exchange for the loan amount, and that's not actually the case. It's simply like a a, a product, like a regular conventional mortgage or a home equity line of credit. The only difference is at the end, when you decide to move or sell, and you can decide to stay in the home for 10, 20, maybe even 30 years, but at the end of that time period, when you decide to move or sell, You sell the home and you simply repay the principal plus the interest that's accrued over the time. Are you hearing from more people who are looking at this as an option? We absolutely have. So just a a little bit of background about um, the company that I work for. I work for Home Equity Bank. It's a Schedule 1 federally regulated bank, uh, better known as the providers of the chip reverse mortgage. We've been in business for over 35 years. Um, And this is all we do, actually. We're the only bank in Canada that works exclusively with Canadian homeowners 55 plus. But what we've been seeing is exactly because of what we've been talking about, that people are just not finding that they have enough money to retire or they're delaying their retirement start dates or they're having to uh, figure out other ways to finance the increasing cost of everything. What we are finding is that more and more people are coming to us Um, as part of their evaluation of all their options. So they're looking at reverse mortgages increasingly. In fact, um, last year we saw growth in originations of the number of new mortgages and the value of the new mortgages that we issued um, of over 30%. So um, it is a a growing tool 
that Canadians are accessing as part of an overall comprehensive retirement strategy. Yeah, some people may not realize, A, the value of their home, how uh, greatly it has increased in value, say, in the last 20 or 25 years since maybe they even paid their mortgage off. And so that's obviously part of the equation here is that that the the home is mortgage-free. But is this product for everyone, Vivian? No, it's not necessarily for everyone. So, uh, for example, you have people who might be okay. Um, they, they, they want to be able to draw down on their savings. They want to be able to potentially use a different lending vehicle. And, and that's, all, that's all fine. Um, but there are some people who decide, um, you know, there's, there's two things to consider. One is there are a lot of people who haven't saved enough money. In fact, we know that only about 50% of retirees right now, the number's up actually around 48%, have some sort of a pension. But outside of that, only 78%, well, 78% of Canadian homeowners say that they have savings, but 40% have saved less than $100,000. And when you look at the annual average re- expense of retirement, you're looking at about, you know, if, if, you're be- if you're being very, very frugal, you could probably make do with twenty thirty thousand. but the average expense is actually about $43,000 for singles. And so you start doing the math there, you've only saved $100,000, that money isn't going to take you very far. You could get a different product. You could get, as I mentioned, a conventional mortgage or home equity line of credit, but that comes with payment. And one of the things that we um, often talk about is the fact that reverse mortgages are a bit more expensive than conventional mortgages and home equity lines of credit. But I think people uh, don't understand how um, how close the costs actually are. So if, for example, right now, if you're looking at a conventional home equity line of credit, you're probably looking at a rate of about 6.7%, um, which is actually quite close to our five-year rate at 6.89%. So you start doing some of that math, right. and the value of not having to make monthly payments, that's where that's where that that value comes in for some people. Where can people learn a little bit more and who else can they speak to? We've got about 25 seconds here, Vivian. A hundred percent. So Greg, they can come on to uh, chip.ca um, and they can fill out an inquiry form. They can find out how much money they can um, they can qualify for. It's all very quick and easy. Vivian Gauci is Senior Vice President, Customer Experience and Chief Marketing Officer, Home Equity Bank. Thanks so much for this, Vivian. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.